Another episode of Eat This Podcast. It's the start of the new year, and I'm back with a confession and an apology. I was completely wrong about porridge stirring implements, and I'm here to make things right. I was talking to Laura Valli about her porridge cafe and the golden spurtle competition, I mocked the idea that the traditional Scottish spurtle, which to all intents and purposes is just a stick, might be better for stirring than a spoon. My faulty reasoning was that a spoon offered a greater surface area to break up lumps. In fact, as I now know, the stirrer doesn't break up the lumps directly. Anyway, as I noted in Eat This Newsletter 110, a friend of a friend who's a specialist in fluid dynamics said that he had a working, testable hypothesis, which needed only some worthy porridge in order to test it. So I packed a bag of my favorite oats, ready to meet up at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. I should explain that Dr. David A. Gagnon, the physicist in question, is the son-in-law of one of my dearest friends who happened to be visiting when I was editing the episode. That's how David came to know of my puzzlement. And he's got access to wonderful machines that can make very accurate rheological measurements. Now, rheology is the study of flow, and David's idea was that the faster the stirrer moved through the porridge, the lower the viscosity of the porridge would be. Shear stress in a material like porridge would be greater at higher flow speeds, and it's shear stress that gets rid of lumps. Now, you can think of shear stress as being a difference in the speed of flow of the liquid across a small distance, multiplied by its resistance to flow. Now, that resistance to flow is what we think of as viscosity. In a viscous liquid, like honey, the stirrer produces a lot more shear stress than it would moving through water at the same speed. But there's a crucial difference between honey and water. In water, the viscosity is the same no matter how fast the stirrer moves. Honey is different. The viscosity decreases the faster the stirrer moves. And that means that the stirrer produces more shear stress when it's moving quickly through the honey than when it's moving more slowly. That was David's point. Fast stirring results in lower viscosity, and lower viscosity results in greater shear stress. So to get back to porridge and to lumps, think of a lump as the stirrer moves past it. Relatively speaking, the part of the lump in the slower flow near the edge of the stirrer is being held fast, while the part in the faster flow is being pulled away. And that's what destroys the lump, pulling it apart. The rheometer measures all that. It has two circular plates, one above the other, and the bottom plate can be rotated very accurately through a known distance at a known speed. 
David carefully loaded a little bit of porridge onto the bottom plate and then lowered the top plate to make contact with the porridge. So now you've got the bottom plate, the porridge and the top plate and the layer of porridge mechanically connects the bottom plate to the top plate. The top plate in turn is connected to sensors that accurately measure how fast and how far it rotates. Meanwhile, David had programmed the machine to wiggle the bottom plate back and forth over a wide range of speeds. The faster the wiggle, the greater the stress on the porridge. The machine then takes all those measurements and creates a set of graphs that describe the rheological properties of the porridge. As we waited, the graph appeared, and it was really exciting. A straight line down from top left to bottom right over a huge range of stirring speeds. Just as David had suspected, the viscosity declines linearly with the speed of rotation. David called a postdoc over to show him, and they spoke physics to one another for a while, and the general gist of it seemed to be that this had been a very worthwhile experiment with very clear results. Robert Nye, whose experiments took weeks or months and generally involved a bunch of statistics to make sense of, were duly impressed. But we also wanted to understand. So, like good experimentalists, we turned to a nearby, very heavily used whiteboard to try and get a grip on what was happening. David drew a circle, a cross-section through the spurtle, and an elongated ellipse, a cross-section through a spoon, and flow lines as they moved through the porridge. For any given speed of movement, the energy needed to move the spurtle would be lower than the energy needed to move the spoon. Likewise, for any given amount of energy, the spurtle would move faster than the spoon. Shear stress depends on speed of movement. So, with a spurtle, it takes less energy to get a certain amount of shear stress and thus a certain amount of lump disruption. But there's more. Because the viscosity of porridge goes down as you stir faster, the rapidly moving spurtle is even better at breaking up lumps than the slower moving spoon. And that is why a spurtle is better for stirring porridge. It's more efficient. Conceptually, my real breakthrough moment came as David was drawing the flow lines. There's a dead area just in front of the spurtle and the spoon, where the porridge is not flowing past the stirrer. The dead area blocks the forward movement of the stirrer, and it's considerably bigger for the spoon. But if you remove the large blade of the spoon, you're left with a spurtle and less blockage. I had a few other thoughts as we tidied up the mess the porridge had made of the rheometer. A spoon with a hole in it, or even one with slots in it, would also be very effective at destroying lumps. And maybe the reason a balloon whisk is extremely good at dispersing lumps in, for example, a white sauce, is that it consists of a large number of spurtles, each one creating sheer stresses in its wake. And finally, it might be most efficient of all to stir porridge with a spoon or paddle 
but keep the blade parallel to the wall of the saucepan because the long surface would result in a larger area of shear stress. Most efficient, perhaps, but way too difficult. So my conclusion is, if you have a spurtle, use it. But if you don't, don't worry about it. And there you have it, a small part of what I did on my holidays. The only part directly relevant to the podcast. And with huge thanks to David Gagnon and Robert Seifarth for making this bit of experimental fun possible. I should add the usual disclaimer that any errors in this account are mine and mine alone. And seeing as I have a script, I'll share a full account on the show notes at eatthispodcast.com where you can correct my errors. Next week, I'll be back on the usual schedule with another edition of Eat This Newsletter. You are subscribed to that, I hope. And then, in two weeks' time, another podcast. I've got a few topics already planned, but I'm also keen to get suggestions from you. What would you like to hear about? Drop me a line, jeremy at eatthispodcast.com or via Twitter at eatpodcast and I'll see what I can do. For now, though, from me, Jeremy Churfus, and Eat This Podcast, goodbye, and thanks for listening. (laughs) 